welcome to the innocents, where the innocent are not safe, and the wicked and guilty, well, we just don't know who they are, so I guess they're fine and dandy for the time being. The serial killer with the clown mask and the masked voice is still afoot, while the tenants know something is a foul, and to make the matters worse, a foul just flapped into the entrance of the innocents, and George the doorman is chasing the bird around with a broom. Oh, oh, it's quite the scene. Feathers are adrift, the phone is starting to ring off the hook, and that damn stain is returned once more. This is Blinding Innocence. shut down the illegal chicken fighting ring months ago. Where did that one chicken come from? Oh, it was Tedford. Tedford Hootenboots, one of the minor characters. He rescued the chicken. George is talking to him right now about how that's just not allowed in such a place. Oh, George just said, you can leave the innocents and eat trash like Cracker Barrel and go to Airbnbs with tractors, but you will not bring that trash back here. Ooh, I can't believe George just said that. Not cool, George the doorman. Not cool. How are you going to gain the respect of the tenants as the new superintendent if you treat them like that? I'm a bit worried for George, but not as worried as some of the other tenants. It's time to see if they're even still alive. Henrik and Danica were in each other's arms. It was one intense embrace. So intense, Henrik's shirt kept unbuttoning. But Danica's hands were clasping Henrik's firm buttocks. So, if it wasn't her, it must have been a ghost. Another ghost? No, not possible. The producers would only allow one ghost per season, and currently, Daphne is the home to this season's ghost. Oh, wait. Oh, the producers just handed me a note card. Ha <laughs> ha, it's not a ghost. Henrik's pectoral muscles are just that good. He can unbutton his shirt just by flexing, and his chest hair does all the dirty work. Ew, gross. It says here in the notes that the chest hair will act as fingers. <coughs> oh, gross. Danica was shorter than Henrik, and the open shirt exposed mounds of his brown chest hair. They caressed her face like a wall of Brillo pads. Her supple, moisturized skin started to feel the burn. Her morning skincare routine consisted of $500 worth of product. Scratching her face all to hell on Hendrick's chest hair just wasn't going. Oh, thank goodness, she thought. The door. Hendrick buttoned up his shirt for their unknown guest. Once all was well, Danica opened the door to see, of all people, Shady business, Danica said. What brings you here? Shady's arms were holding an invisible bundle and a leash dangled at her feet. Danica's heart began to beat harder, and she could feel her forehead break out in sweat and her back puckered with goose flesh pimples, and she felt the warm sensation of needing to poop. Her conquest, the final piece to her fabulous puzzle, was right there in Shady's arms. Oh, ulcers, Danica cried out, reaching out for the, um, dog. She winced and 
pulled back her hand and wrapped both of them together. I don't know if I would do that, Shady said, about to step back. Does ulcers bite? Danica asked. Does ulcers bite? Henrik interrupted. Danica, are you going to invite the woman in? No, no need, Shady Business said, taking another step back. I'm just here, well, to tell you, inform you, in fact, that, well, after talking to my psychic and then checking my tarot cards and then calling Dion Warwick and her psychic friends that, Danica, you're next. With that, Shady Business's eyes went wide and she darted away from Danica and Henrik. Danica shut the door. You can't believe her, Henrik said, about to embrace Danica again with his coarse chest hair. She's just the building kook. Danica wasn't so sure. Henrik, Danica said, what if she's right? What if I am next? Before Henrik could embrace her, she looked down at her hands and saw the fresh dog bite and blood oozing from the wound. If Blinding Innocence had enough money, Dionne Warwick would totally be the narrator. Sadly, you just get me. And I don't come with a Psychic Friends Network. Instead, I just come with LinkedIn. And apparently, I should accept my roommate and his mom's LinkedIn request. <sighs> my six degrees of Kevin Bacon power puts me nowhere near Dionne Warwick. Sadly, my six degrees of fame is just one person away from one of those teen moms from MTV. I hope the producers can't hear me. I, I really don't want one of them on the set. Ugh. But enough of my pain. We haven't seen Jonathan Nightingale in a while, have we? Jonathan Nightingale had just walked back into his unit. He had thrown out the final bag of green emerald earrings down the garbage chute. He flapped off his medical gloves and threw them into the trash. There would be no fingerprints on the black bags that were now nestled with the other bags of garbage. But it didn't matter now. He had given up. With the third murder, news was already circulating that Nards and Wiener were ignoring that the earrings even existed. He thought about coming clean, letting Nards know what he was up to, but he wanted to see if Betty Lou was okay with that plan since she was his accomplice. He tried calling and texting Betty Lou, but she didn't pick up. Who knew where she was? She's probably kidnapped again, Jonathan mused. Then, like every scene in this dumb soap opera, there was a knock on the door. The tenants were so polite, weren't they? You would expect at least some of them to just throw open doors with nary a concern and storm into rooms, yelling and pointing fingers. But nope, not at the innocence. Gentle knocks on gentle doors. Jonathan answered and was greeted by the tired eyes of Inspector Nards. His shoulders were slumped and his monocle dangled down by his waist. Nards, I was just thinking about you, Jonathan said. That must be why I just magically appeared right outside your door, Nard said. Really? Jonathan asked. No, you fool, Nard said, pushing Jonathan out of the way and walking in. Jonathan looked out the door to see if anyone was in the hall, but he was safe. I know it was you, Nard said, all gruffly muffly. 
You can't believe that I'm the serial killer, Jonathan scoffed. He walked over to his coffee table and picked up his glass of scotch. And then he looked at Nards, took a sip, and then scoffed with his scotch. I'm a terrible person, but I don't murder people. Sure, I'd lay them out on train tracks just to let their legs get cut off, but I would rush them to the hospital so they would live another day. But I would never just end someone's life. More scotch, more scoff. We know you're not the serial killer. You may be one cruel son of a bitch, but a killer you are not. Then what do you know, Jonathan said. Scoff, then scotch. The least you can do before I tell you is offer me a drink, Nard said, scoffing at Jonathan's scotch. Jonathan walked over to his liquor bar cabinet thing with wheels, scoffed at Nard's, and then poured the scotch. Nard scoffed at Jonathan, took the scotch, and took a sip. With grumbles all up in his throat, Nards asked, This is good scotch. What brand is it? Scoff, Jonathan said. Ugh, Nards scoffed. What is this? No, you imbecile. It's called Scoff. Scoff Scotch. I just bought the company a few months ago. I see, Nard said. The reason I'm here is because we know that you and Betty Lou are responsible for the earrings. I should arrest you for impeding the investigation. How did you find out? It was Betty Lou, wasn't it? Her falling that one night in the hallway gave us away. We were able to analyze the sounds from the video surveillance, and we knew it was you, Nard said. Are you here to arrest me? Jonathan asked. As much as I would like to do that, I'm here to ask for your help. We'll drop any charges against you and Betty Lou if you'd be willing to be extra eyes and ears at the innocence for us. Tell us anything. Hold nothing back. Well, Beverly Cleary really could destroy a toilet. One time, she used the men's restroom by the pool, and it took the custodians a week to get it all cleaned up. I'm actually kind of glad the killer got her, Jonathan said. That's not what I mean, Nard said. I mean suspicious activity from here forward. Pay attention to the comings and goings of people with whom you are not familiar. And the charges... They will be dropped with your cooperation, Nard said. They clinked their glasses of scoff scotch together to seal the deal. You know we're coming close to the end of a season when the good guys and the bad guys put aside their differences and decide to work together. Then you begin to wonder, will one of them turn on the other? Will they both make it out alive? Have they just put their lives even more at stake? Could one of them possibly be the serial killer? Will they become best friends after this and have sleepovers? <gasps> OMG, they're going to have pillow fights. <laughs> Let's just hope that the producers don't do a spin-off show with Nards, Wiener, and Jonathan. Who knows what terrible name it would have. The wedding of Natasha and Jameson was nigh, and although most of the plans were in place, there was one more plan they hadn't put into place yet, and in order to do so, they needed the wedding binder in Daphne's apartment. And do you know what they did? 
they went to Daphne's door and they knocked on it. Daphne opened the door, her brown curls in disarray. Her silken robe was wrapped, albeit loosely, around her body. Mmm, Daphne, you look like Sigourney Weaver at the end of Ghostbusters. Are you having an affair with Zool? Natasha waltzed into the room, Jameson following, and Natasha whisked open the curtains to allow light in. Daphne covered her face. Her hands became claws, and she hissed. How dare you speak of Zool in such a manner? Daphne hissed. Natasha placed her purse down at the table in the corner of the room, right next to the giant wedding planner. Honey, she was kidding, Jameson said. Natasha, my dear, you weren't making fun of Zool, were you? Mm, Daphne, you should know that Zool's my favorite part of Ghostbusters. I mean, if I were to be a possessed by some demon ghost thing, I'd totally want it to be Zool. Zool does a body good. Daphne's eyes darted toward Natasha, and they started to darken. Natasha backed away when she saw that Daphne's eye sockets were pits of black nothingness. My name is not Daphne. Daphne said, her voice deep and scary like Sigourney Weaver's voice at the end of Ghostbusters. Um, Natasha, but perhaps we should go. Daphne's not herself, Jameson said, walking toward Natasha to grab her. My name is Deborah Cleverpatch. Daphne, or Deborah, or Zool, or whatever name she wanted to be called, reached out her arm and then waved her hand. Jameson flew across the room, tumbled over the coffee table, knocking everything off of it, and landed on the ground. Good work, Jameson. Keep distracting her, Natasha shouted. She hopped over to the binder, pulled something out of her purse, attached it to something on the back of the binder, closed it, and then threw the purse back over her shoulder. Mm, Daphne and darling, we just wanted to check a quick detail in the binder. You've been awfully hard to get a hold of lately, and with the wedding just a few weeks away... Natasha ran over to Jameson, pulled him off from the floor, and they both stumbled out of Daphne's complex, the door slamming behind them. Then the walls and the floors of the innocents began to rumble and shake as Daphne roared. Welcome to the innocence, where everyone is just dying to live. Will Shady Business's prediction come true? Is Danica to be the next victim? Now that Nards and Jonathan are working together, will they figure out who the killer is? And really, who peed in Deborah Cleverpatch's oatmeal? Tune in next time for... Blinding Innocence!